And, and then that would lead to food restriction because Mm. I would have to tell myself like, I, if I don't eat this or I, if I like, I, or yeah, if I don't eat this, then I'm going to be healthy or I'm going to lose the weight or I'm going to look better. And that's not how that works. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so um, a lot of internal dialogue and stressing about it and um even like turning away like i like i was afraid to go to social events and i would turn down invites to things because there was gonna be food there and i didn't want to have to deal with you know explaining my food choices or even like losing self-control how about you how's weight stigma and diet culture affecting you Got a great show for you. Let's listen in. You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I've built a successful nutrition practice, helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on the One Small Bite Podcast. I'm your host, David Orozco registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor. And you heard a little while ago from my next guest, Joy Loy. He is a certified health coach and educator. He primarily works with plus-size people. And what he does is he tries to achieve a healthy lifestyle through, very similar to me, an anti-diet approach emphasizing body respect and food confidence. And you're going to hear that in this episode, Joe's passions for coaching and anti-diet come from years of his struggles with weight loss, disordered eating, and yo-yo dieting. He considers himself a fat activist fighting against fat phobia and educating others on the biases that plus-size people face when pursuing health and fitness. Joe believes in intuitive eating, moving the body in ways that bring him joy and health at any size. Joy identifies as queer and lives with his husband of six years. They have a fur baby, Chihuahua Dashhound. His name is Arco. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's a he or not. (laughs) Hey, you're going to love today's show. Joe and I have a hoot. I mean, we had a blast. A lot of good laughs and a lot of really great insights from Joe's experience. And, you know, he reminds me a lot of many of the people that I write about in my book, One Small Bite, anti-diet stories that help you build a positive relationship with food. And that's definitely what you're going to hear in this episode. Hey, but before we get started, let me give you my disclaimer This episode and podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. This is not a substitute for a medical or emotional or a weight-inclusive nutrition or health consult for your specific needs. Please find a registered dietitian nutritionist 
or a health professional that is hopefully haze, intuitive eating, and weight-inclusive aligned and licensed where you live. And just a heads up, we drop quite a few curse words here, or I do at least. (laughs) So if you've got little ones, you probably want to listen to this at a different time when they're not around. All right, let's get the party started. Here we go. Hey, Joe, welcome to the One Small Bite Podcast. How's it, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good, good. Man, I'm, I'm really glad that you are able to make it with me today. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. This is so cool. You know, I, I met you through Jeff Ash, who um, has a program for intuitive eating as well for men. And, and I said, oh, this is incredible. I got to meet Joe. Aww. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to be here. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, Joe, you know, I'd like for everybody to get to know you a little bit. Of course, I'm going to read your bio in the pre-roll, which is before Mm. this interview. But I'd love for people just to hear it also from you. Start with a little bit of your background. How did you get into the weight-inclusive, intuitive eating, health at every size space? Yeah. Um, so my original background is in education. Um, I that my career started out working in before and after school programming um, here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And one of my big, one, a big role of mine um, as a supervisor was to coach staff. And coaching was the part of my job I absolutely loved. It lit me up. I enjoyed it. Um, and I on the other hand of that, I have been someone who has dieted my whole life. I have, have been on multiple diets. I've done the weight loss and weight gain um, situation. Um, and more recently, it was like 20, it was like 2020-ish. I was starting to think about, you know, if I were to leave education, what would I do? Um, I was very... I was on Weight Watchers at the time and um, there was one day we were at work and we like got pizza um, for lunch and I was talking about how I wasn't going to have any, any cause it was going to like put me over my points and, and um, I would just, I wouldn't oh, be able to those have any points, the those points, points, those oh. points, man, they get you. I know. And, and I had been on Weight Watchers, I think for a few years at this point and wasn't seeing results. Like yeah, I, if I had a dollar for every person that I meet on Weight Watchers that tells me, Oh, I'm a lifelong member. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Does that not say anything to you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't exactly like I wasn't having any success with it, but I was still doing it. And that's yeah. like what I think was like, kind of like once I woke up and realized like what's going on here, but I had a coworker who just like really lightly just asked me like, Hey, can we talk about that for a second? And she and I was like, yeah, sure. I let's, yeah, for sure. And she, that's when she introduced me to this idea of intuitive eating. Um, mm. And she um, like, sh- to- like told me about some Instagram profiles I could follow. And, and that kind of just started my journey of realizing that what I was doing was not what I wanted for myself and it wasn't, and it wasn't working. And I found this new world that like kind of opened me up to a better idea of health for myself. And then I found this company 
that allowed me to not only get certified as a health and life coach, but also I got to be coached. Um, I got to experience Uh, coaching while I was getting certified to help me better understand my body and how it works and why I wasn't seeing the results and why I, you know, at one point in my life, I lost a ton of weight and it was in college. And then shortly after college, I lost a ton of weight, but I gained all of it back and then some. Mm. And so I finally started to learn why that was and why I was experiencing that. And so that kind of led me here that led me to, you know, starting my own practice to help plus size people um, achieve a healthy lifestyle through an anti-diet approach that emphasizes body respect and food confidence. So that is amazing. Can I just tell you that I hear the hero story there? Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with the aspects of the hero story. Are you familiar with Joseph Campbell or um, with... no, I'm not actually. Okay. Joseph Campbell wrote, I think it was back in the 1940s or fifties. Uh, don't hold me to this. Cause I, I have yeah. my, my timing horrible, but um, he wrote the book Hero with a Thousand Faces. Oh, okay. And it was a piece on the hero's journey through the view of religious and mythical and mythology. Oh, okay. And he talked about a lot of different sin- scenarios, very similar. And there was there was a a plot to this. It was like, oh, okay, these are the the many faces of a hero. And so George Lucas picked it up. That was, from what I understand, George Lucas's inspiration for creating Star Wars. And so mm-hmm. when I heard you, I immediately thought about that. You, here you are, this is the character, and someone talks to you, this is the guide, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm, yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. then... Um, uh, sorry, here's the problem. I've lost weight, gained it, lost weight. And then you meet the guy that's number three, right? That guide now directs you into a certain path. And then in this path, you go through the plan. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. I've been coached. And so I'm being coached. And then it goes through you needing, you having to, call the action. You have to do the things that you're you're coaching. And so yes. that's where the trials and tribulations of the hero, you know, having to confront your father, Luke, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you, can, you can hear the metaphor with Star Wars in here, right? And 1,000%. Then, yeah, yeah. And then uh, reaching sort of these affirmations and realizing, oh, okay, this is, this is my transformation and therefore success. And that's that's the hero's journey. And so this is used by, by the way, by Hollywood over and over and over again. <laughs> I love that. Well, the minute, yeah, as you're telling this story, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. I hear it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Your, your, your transformation. Right. Yeah. But look, I'm stepping on your toes here. Talk oh, me, man. talk me through a little bit of that. So you were coached and then you, I, I mean, what, what was the coaching? What were the things that you were learning? Yeah. So the coaching is, so it's kind of twofold because you get coached by your peers as we're learning these, these coaching skills. So Mm -hmm. we get to kind of practice with each other. Um, And then we also have what they call an empowerment coach. Um, So like if anything comes up in a skills lab that maybe our peer isn't 
um, yet equipped to handle or deal with, we can work within the empowerment coach to dig a little deeper on that. Um, like the empowerment coach is like a skilled, masterful coach. Like they have been doing this for a while. Got it. Um, and, and so we were learning a lot about like, um, like trusting our bodies and like really paying attention to like who we are being when we're eating. Like, are we eating in a stress state? Are we calming ourselves down? Are we treating our meals more like a sacred time in our day? Or are we just rushing through that? Are we just scarfing our food down, not even paying attention to what we're even eating? Um, And I think that is, I mean, that's a common thing that especially here in America that we do, we don't slow down for meals. We scarf down our meals in 10 minutes. You know, I worked in the public school system and our kids get 10 minutes to eat half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's like our bodies aren't made for that. Our bodies are made to slowly process that mm-hmm. and really take in the nutrients mm-hmm. and like how to really focus more in on like food is energy and and like what foods give us energy what foods don't give us energy and starting to pay more attention then to to when we eat how do what are we feeling what are the what are the sensations we have what are the emotions we have did i just eat something and it's not even like you know it's giving me this like icky feeling or am i eating something and i'm feeling good i enjoyed it mm. and i think there's also the 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 aspect too of like did I eat this, did I eat this full meal and still like, I'm not getting the, the, I can't think of the word right now. Satisfaction. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. Satisfaction. Yeah. I'm not getting the satisfaction even by the meal I just ate. And so now I'm like craving all these other different types of foods that I'm now telling myself, Oh, I I can't eat that. I can't eat that. Mm -hmm. Why can't I eat that? What's what, what's stopping what, yeah. me from eating that? What what was stopping you in the past? Um, it was I mean, the, I, I, yeah. I we know I know we talked about Weight Watchers and the points, but I know yeah. it's it's not that. What was no. stopping you? Yeah, the thing that was stopping me the most was this idea of gaining more weight mm. and and my body changing in a way that I didn't want it to, or that so- society was telling me I didn't want it to. Yeah, that's a perfect example of this weight stigma Mm -hmm. and this anti-fat bias. That's what I was getting at when you were when you were saying that, because you are a fat person, you are in a large body and it's it's not something people miss. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. No. (laughs) So what was going on in your mind then? Yeah, I it's. That is a really good question, and I think it's a lot of things that were going in my head. Um, you know, it was the, I I've been called a fat person my whole life. Mm. And at one point, you know, that was an insult and that hurt. And, um, like I've done some, some, I've done a lot of like personal work on that. And like, I'm now at a point where I'm like, fat is a descriptive word. Like it Mm. is, it is just a description. It is just a thing that I have. It's not, you know, it's, it's not this bad thing. Like we've made it out to be. And, you know, everyone in my life, I had a lot of people in my life telling me, you know, watch what you eat. Um, we have to look a certain way. When I, when I lost all that weight, I got praised. Mm. I was, I was, you know, like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. You look so good. That looks, you look like, how are you doing this? 
and then you gain weight or you or you're not losing weight and you're not seeing these results that people are expecting expecting mm-hmm. um and you 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 sense that and and you feel that and you internalize that and so it's like even just little things of like even people around me if they lost weight and i heard someone praising them mm-hmm. for it i'd internalize that like something's wrong with me mm-hmm. what's wrong with me why can't i do that well and and i just want to add something here that's mm-hmm. I, it's very important because this is the challenge with a body image being placed in this categorical definition of either uh, bad or good. Yeah. And what was also happening when people would say, when you lose the weight, you look good. How did you do that? You're amazing. They are also inferring. They don't know this themselves either. We mm-hmm. don't even realize this, but it, in, it infers exactly the opposite at the exact same time yes so if i look good then if i don't stay this weight i will look bad yes one thousand percent which then then it moves into i either am good or i am bad yeah and this is the way our brains parses it down to Mm -hmm. the very singular who i am it's an identity problem now Mm-hmm. And the very people that are saying this to you, what's going on in their mind? Why do you think they're saying that to you? You look great. Or- yeah, they're, I mean, because they've also g- grown up in this culture and this society that has told, told us that thin is the w- only way. Mm-hmm. Thin is mm-hmm. the only way to be healthy. Thin is what's beautiful. Thin is what is um, the accomplishment. It's mm-hmm. the achievement. And, and so, it, I mean, it's, it's, they're not doing anything intentionally wrong. Right. Like right. it's, and I know, and I know that now, yeah, and yeah, I know that, right. and I know that like, um, I know that it's, it's just part of how we've been raised. Joe, there's something that you said to me in our conversations when something like this would happen when you weren't successful you, I remember you telling me that you would beat yourself up for it. Mm. Um, you would say some really mean things to yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Oh yeah. Um, I, it, I don't think I realized it until I was actually getting coached through some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, it, it was affecting me for years. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're talking years of being called the fat kid and like, like telling myself kind of that good or bad, like that good or bad situation, like telling myself that I'm bad or I'm doing something wrong or I'm the one that's the problem mm. or that I have no self-control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. You know? mm-hmm. And, um, and so you would internalize that yourself. I would internalize that myself. And so I'm, I'm bad. I'm, I'm not doing something right. I'm doing mm-hmm. something wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and then that would lead to food restriction because Mm -hmm. I would have to tell myself, like, I, if I don't eat this or I, if I like, I, or yeah, if I don't eat this, then I'm going to be healthy or I'm going to lose the weight or I'm going to look better. And that's not how that works. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so um, a lot of internal dialogue. 
and stressing about it. And um, even like turning away, like I, like I was afraid to go to social events and I would turn down invites to things because there was going to be food there. And I didn't want to have to deal with, you know, explaining my food choices or even like losing self-control um, mm. and eating. Oh, the wow. Things so you got I... two, two pressures there. One is yes. I wouldn't be able to control myself around the food that's there. And I don't want people to see the choices that I'm making because it really echoes what they are saying without saying it to me in my own head. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, 100%. you're a fat person. Why you should be, why should you be eating yes. that shit? Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You need to control yourself better. You need to, um, you shouldn't be eating that because you should be focusing on losing weight. Like I would kind of create these things that like other people are going to say to me in my yeah. head. Yeah. And, and that would stop me from, from going places. And I became a homebody for a long time, actually. Um, and it's just more recently since I've been on, since I started this new journey that I've actually felt comfortable mm. going out more. And mm. like, you know, it's kind of more of that. I don't give a fuck attitude. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is me. This is my body. <laughs> and I love me for me. <laughs> how, how did you get there? How was that? Um, how did you end up getting to that acceptance, that body love? And, and and before you answer that question, I'll get back to it in a second. I know we hear a lot about loving oneself and and I've got to have affirmations and reframing how I talk to myself in my head. And I know that those are the ways that people hear about it. How did you get there though? Yeah, and I and I want to also like kind of point out there too like this is this is a journey. And so yeah. like I still have days where I wake yeah. up and I'm That's like That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I still beat myself up. And I have like actually working with someone, working with a coach, working with my therapist, mm. like I was able to learn skills to become aware of those thought processes when I'm having them mm. to interrupt them and say, "Hold up." that's not cool. Why are you would never talk to someone else like that? Why are you talking to yourself like that? Mm. And kind of, and, and back that's out. That's a of good that. one. Yeah. That's a good one about, mm. I, I use that quite often with a lot of people I work with. Mm. Would you be saying the very same things to other people that you're saying to yourself? Yeah. And then they would say something, well, of course not. Well, then why are we doing it to ourselves? Yep. And then they think, oh, okay, well, maybe what I need to do is stop saying that to myself. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. It doesn't oh my gosh, work I wish way. it was that easy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, then I say to them, okay, don't think of a red apple. And what do you think about? Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the first thing you think about. The mind has a hard time separating the image that's already in your mind with the, with the, the, the word don't. Yes. So this is one of the reasons why it's very difficult to say to yourself, I should stop saying that to myself. I should mm -hmm. stop talking that way to myself. I think what's more important is that you should pay attention mm -hmm. to the way you talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I talk about the four steps of, of learning or for the four learning steps. One mm -hmm. is the unconscious incompetence. Mm -hmm. And that is, we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't know that we're saying these things to ourselves when we say something like, 
oh my gosh, I shouldn't have the pizza. I'm shooting on myself. I shouldn't have the pizza. I shouldn't have this. Or yes. I should eat broccoli. I should eat salad. I should eat nothing at this moment because I don't want to blow my points. I'm mm -hmm. shooting on myself. So I'm yeah. either should nodding on myself or shooting mm -hmm. on myself. Anyway, mm -hmm. what ends up happening is, is that those voices just keep going on and on and they happen yep. so automatically that we don't hear them. That is the, yes. you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Then you move into stage two. Stage two is conscious incompetence. Mm -hmm. We now see that we didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? yep. Yep. Okay. Wow. I didn't know I was saying that to myself. Mm -hmm. Then we move to the step three, which is conscious competence. I'm going to need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and try to do something about this. Yeah. And then you move into the unconscious competence. And mm -hmm. that is, I'm doing it automatically. I'm not even thinking about it. Just yep. the way I was not realizing I was talking to myself that way. Now this new me is such more, more a part of my life. Mm -hmm. The important thing about this process is that it it's circular, circular, circular. It's cyclical. Cyclical. Thank there you. you. Yeah, I was like, see, I knew it. We're, I, I like, I knew it. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're both helping each other out on uh, no, no today. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So the thinking is cyclical here, right? you can easily go back to realizing, oh, shoot, I didn't know I didn't know that, right? Anyway, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. One of the things that I wanted to know here is, you know, you finally learned about your body and why you haven't been successful at losing weight. How did, what did you start recognizing there? Um, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I started, well, when I started to recognize that I am much happier when I am not constantly tearing apart what I'm eating or constantly having to go into an app and log every little thing that I eat and drink. Um, I, I'm, I'm learning that I pay so much more attention to my actual body and how it actually feels from moment to moment. Um, in multiple ways. Like even if I'm like working out, like when I'm doing a workout, how do I feel right now? Do I feel like I could go another two minutes or do I feel like I need to stop right now? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and I, and it, and it's funny cause I feel like it flows into just other areas of our, of my life too. Like, do I actually feel like I want to go to this party tonight or am I doing it because it's going to meet someone else's expectations, you know? And like, mm -hmm. it's really about like, I've, I've learned to, make decisions more for myself and mm. stop worrying about those outside pressures and expectations. Now it's not perfect every day. You know, it's, I think as someone who is, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist, like that is a, <laughs> that is something that I'm still working on and working through and I'm catching it more and I'm able to um, process through that more quickly, kind of the, those ways of learning that you just said, like, mm -hmm. I'm at a point now where I can, can interrupt and back out and mm. do what I need to do mm. for me. Uh, this is an, an interesting thing. Did some of it require you to remove yourself from things or people in your life? as well did it require you to not do the same things or maybe break friendship bonds or um just do different things in your life that 
not not that it had to do with yeah. eating specifically, but the way these people might be saying things to you or or the images that they're portraying. Did did that happen? Um, I for me it really actually it well, it's not that I cut anybody out or um yeah. like like I'm I still have everyone in my life before this journey and I've had to set boundaries around that of like, mm. you know, this, I, I don't, we're not talking about this right now. Or um, I, it's, it's hard for me too, because as someone who is an educator mm-hmm. and like, I pride myself on it as being an educator, like I am someone who my immediate response usually is to educate mm. and to try and educate. And so that's kind of my, where I go. And I know a lot of people who are in this space and have been through the same journey who have had to walk away. All right. So what you're relationships, what you're saying is it's not so much that you had to break the bonds, but you created barriers or boundaries, boundaries. Yeah. But you also were exposed to a whole set of people and experiences that have moved you into this more weight inclusive health at every size space. Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay. Yeah. And so, Okay. And so you are, are you still finding yourself restricting or, uh, trying to do old behaviors? No, no, no. Um, I would say about this time last year, I probably was like, I can, I can, I can look back and know that I was still having some of those like unconscious habits of just kind of doing it. And now I'm at a point where I, I know, like, if I think in my head, like, that, like, that that food is bad, or that food I shouldn't eat, I can say, hold up, (laughs) Uh we're not gonna do that. Uh It seems like you want to have some of that. So give Uh yourself that permission. And Uh so I do. And um, sometimes, sometimes I put it on my plate, and then I get to that and I'm just, I'm not feeling like my, my body paying attention to my body. And I'm like, you know what, actually I feel nourished. I feel satisfied. So we're going to put this back in the bag or we're going to put this mm. in a container for later. Um, mm. And I can save it for later, but I think, and, and also like that goes to like keeping foods in the house too, that I never used mm. to keep. Like I do now get oh, cookies and yeah. candy and cake and allow myself to keep that in not allow myself i give myself permission to keep that in the house and i do find that like when i do that i know and i and i tell myself often like you don't have to have that now you can have it later but if you are wanting it now it's okay have it it's okay it's okay um but it's that idea that like i'm not because i'm not restricting myself Mm -hmm. i i know that i can I can have it, but I don't have to have it. I don't feel like it's that need. Like if I don't have this now, it's going to be the end of the world or I'm never going to have another opportunity to have it. I think another great example is the other day I had had lunch already and my husband had forgotten to have lunch. And he was like, Hey, I just, I'm going to swing through the McDonald's drive through so I can eat something before we head off to wherever we're heading off to. And he's like, do you want anything? And I was like, ah, nah, I, I ate some lunch. I'm full. Me two years ago would have said, oh, this is my only opportunity to get a McDonald's meal. And I would have had my lunch. And then I also would have had a whole like McDonald's meal on top of that too. And so I was able, and I, and I recognized when I did that, I was like, I didn't feel like I had to have that. Or I didn't feel like I 
um, was gonna like it was gonna be the end of the world if I didn't eat this right now. So in all of that, did you not realize you literally just describe pragmatically how you experience the learning process, the step yeah. learning process? <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize I was doing it. I was <laughs> like, oh shit. You it out, now that when you point it out, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Part of you, I can hear part of you jumps in and out a little bit of three and four, where you have the unconscious, I mean the conscious competence. You you are seeing yourself and you're making the change. Yes. And part of you is automatically doing it already. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. And this is so much a part of the learning process. You see how this also lines up with the hero's journey? Yes. Yes. It's fucking amazing if yeah. you ask me. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the other thing too is the weight stigma is intense in yeah. our society. How does weight stigma and anti-fat phobia show up in general? in your Mm. life so it shows up in a lot of places actually i think um you know it shows up when you're watching tv there's weight there's tons of weight loss commercials Mm -hmm. you know i i have this habit of laying going to bed at like nine but having friends on i love i love friends i I watch friends friends. (laughs) and it every like every time there's a commercial break there's at least two weight loss commercials i've started counting because like, I've just like, I, it, it's kind really? of like amazing to me. Yeah. I'm like, how, like, this is also like Nick at night. Like, this is like teenagers probably watching this. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, like, wait a minute. Adults. What are commercials? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Don't we stream everything now? <laughs> Don't we stream everything <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah. yeah. But even like the show friends, it's the friends, friends itself. Yeah. Like yeah. I love that show, yeah. but the amount of yeah. jokes about fat people yep. and being fat is outrageous like mm-hmm. it is absolutely like every episode has to have at least well and you know and friends friends was popular in the mid to mid to late 90s if i'm not mistaken is that Correct. right i think yeah. it's mm-hmm. mid to late 90s right yeah yeah it, it came around the same time seinfeld did anyway mm-hmm. um what's interesting is i'm watching cobra kai on netflix oh right yeah now, right yeah. what's interesting about cobra kai it, it has not changed in the least no, freaking no. bit no you know, nope. you have to have these kids that have these knockout bodies. Yeah, it's like, well, where are the fat kids? I mean, yeah. And do kids that are not able bodied not know or shouldn't be able to do karate? Or mm-hmm. wait, wait a minute, what's going? On? It's like, yeah. Oh my God. Don't get me wrong, I love that show. I really enjoy yeah. watching oh, it. Yeah. But I cleanly see oh, all absolutely. the time, you know, guys without their shirts on, you know, and girls wearing the sports bras and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like. Wow, it doesn't stop. It doesn't no, stop. How is how else has it showed up in 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 general? Yeah, um, I think clothing stores is a really good example where it shows up. Like clothing stores never hold the sizes that they need mm-hmm. to hold for people who are in larger bodies. Like mm-hmm. I find myself having to shop online a lot because mm-hmm. or going to a store that is specifically designed for larger people. Yeah. Because the stores I love to shop at just don't have the sizes that I need. That's double or triple stigmatizing. One, mm-hmm. the stores that everybody else loves that you love mm-hmm. because you see those ads or those mannequins or those stores, you can't really get anything there, which is stigmatizing in it of itself. Mm-hmm. And then going to those other stores, and I'm using others in air quotes here, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that you're being othered. Yep. 
right? Yep. If you yep. go to that store, yep. mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. then if you're getting that kind of clothing and you're out in, with your yep. friends and stuff, that they are saying, well, where did you get that? I'd love to yeah. get that if they like it on you, right? And mm-hmm. you're going to say, what are you going to say? Yeah. Right? Because yep. exactly. they're, they're in a thin body. It's like, well, you really can't shop there because they don't have your size there. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Which indirectly is yet another fucking stigmatizing way yeah. of saying yeah. you're othered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I and another like really good recent concrete example was my brother recently got married and I was in the wedding and I had to get fitted for a suit. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, David, it took three people to figure out how to measure my suit for me and figure out what fit well. And, and then, and and then when I had to go back for the like final fitting, it took another two or three people to like, figure out, is this right? Does this feel good on you? And like, I, it's just like the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm like, this does like all, like all of the other people in this wedding party who are way thinner than me did not have this issue. Like one person was able to help them fit and they were able to move on. And I'm standing over here, like. And I'm just like, what? Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, wow, is- yeah. I mean, it's like everybody's on you. It's like, yeah. uh, guys, the attention here is intense. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And for and like, so like, we finally figured it out. But if I wanted to go like another, technically, I should have for my suit coat. I right. should have gone like a size higher than what I did. Right. But if I wanted to go that higher, I would have had to have a custom fitted suit which would have costed much way more money yeah i was just thinking as soon as you started saying them like that's fucked up it is it totally is and and i and i don't like like i like this place was amazing like i loved this place i will go back if i ever need to get another suit because like they really were great um and at the same time like (laughs) this was the experience i had and this was just a few weeks ago (laughs) so like yeah (laughs) that's fascinating that's so so intense you know i know this is not fair to you a little bit Mm -hmm. and you are welcome to tell me or put me in my place for saying so or not Mm -hmm. or just giving your comments i see clients who are not in the body that you're in Mm -hmm. with almost the same exact thoughts it's so funny because i get people who are in thin bodies and i say you know what's interesting I have clients that are in larger bodies or they're fat and they say the exact same things. Yeah. Have, have you heard that before? Did- oh, I, I, I believe it. I believe because I think, you know, it's unfortunately it's a societal problem. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think this is this I think goes this might be jumping ahead a little bit um, in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is where the difference of men and women comes in too is well i was about to ask anyway so go for it (laughs) yeah so like women experience this at an even higher rate than we do Mm -hmm. at an even lower bmi and and i like i don't believe in the bmi i think the Mm -hmm. bmi is stupid i think we need to get rid of it um but but like they experience the weight stigma at even a lower bmi than men do Mm. so i believe it absolutely i believe it Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Tell me what what it means that men don't experience it. Um, well, I don't I I don't think it's that they don't experience it. I think they do experience it. I think it's just not like you like these weight loss commercials. 
that you see are so tailored to women. And, mm. and when you see um, magazines that are, are like they're targeting this, the women, the female population, yeah. and they've been doing that for years yeah. and years and, and, and criticizing bodies here and there you know we see articles on social media with actresses who Mm -hmm. maybe just had a baby and aren't that large like they're like they're they're they have a great body and they're scrutinizing it like the media is scrutinizing it and tearing them down and it's just i don't think we see that as much publicly with men you know, Joe, one of the things that I wanted to say while you were saying all of that was it was so interesting because I did this the other day. I was thinking, you know what? I need to create a reel and you're welcome to steal this idea, too, because it's mm. fun. But it's really interesting. I thought to myself, hey, I remember reading in the National Eating Disorders website, National Eating Disorder Association website, the common signs and symptoms of an eating disorder. Mm. And so when you were talking about that with the way men see it, you know, we're seeing a lot of ads and a lot of pressure on women. But what's interesting is it's it's there for men in a different way. With men, I see it as I got to get muscular or strong. Yes. And then lean Mm -hmm. at the same because the washboard abs, which means that you don't have a belly. Right. Okay. so listen to all these signs and symptoms there are it's a long list watch uh in general behaviors and attitudes that indicate that weight loss dieting and control of food are becoming primary concerns preoccupation with weight food calories carbohydrates fats grams and dieting refusal to eat certain foods progressing to restrictions against whole categories of foods no carbs as an example Appears uncomfortable eating around others. Remember how we just talked about that? Mm-hmm. Food rituals, such as eat only a particular food or food group, like condiments. Excessive chewing doesn't allow foods to touch on a plate. Skipping meals or taking small portions of food at regular time, um, regular meals. Any new practices with food or fad diets, including cutting out entire food groups, withdrawal from usual friends and activities, frequent dieting, extreme concern with body size and shape, frequent checking in the mirror for perceived flaws in appearances, extreme mood swings, noticeable fluctuations in weight, both up and down, stomach cramps, non-specific GI complaints, Uh, For women, menstrual irregularities, I'm going to stick more with men, difficulties concentrating, abnormal labs, dizziness, fainting, feeling cold, sleep problems. Do you hear that? Yeah. How is it not different than our diet culture that we're constantly, constantly seeing everywhere? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. I mean, when you were saying that, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's it and it's like I like I talk a lot about the difference between like eating disorders and disordered eating too, mm-hmm. right? Like I can I can probably bet that every everyone is exhibiting some sort of disordered eating. They might not be to the point of an eating disorder, but they are exhibiting some sort of disordered eating because of the diet culture that we are living in. I wouldn't say everybody. I would say mm-hmm. it is probably 
a vast majority of people, mm-hmm. maybe I don't know for a percentage wise. Yeah, don't men do percentages a lot? I think I was yeah. told that once. <laughs> you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say a percentage, but a good number of people. I would say everybody probably does it at some time, some point in their life too. Though. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. Is like at at some point we experience it. Right, right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. You, I want to bring this up again because you had mentioned it. Why is the BMI flawed? The BMI. Oh, I love talking about this. <laughs> and, and, um, and just just for everybody's yeah. information, the BMI stands for, and I'm sure everybody knows this, but the BMI mm-hmm. stands for Body Mass Index, which is a way of measuring your weight relative to your height. And then the actual calculation is your weight in pounds divided by your height squared in meters or um, centimeters. Mm -hmm. And so, or you can do kilograms divided by centimeters square. So yeah, tell me then what, why the BMI is flawed because it seems like, oh, that's my weight relative to my height. Yeah. So the BMI is flawed because it was developed by someone in like 1830 Mm -hmm. um, who is a mathematician. And it was developed to help determine the allocation of resources. It was not originally determined to measure people's health or fatness or like it, like it, 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 it's just so outdated. And like, it doesn't take into account, um, muscle mass, bone density, um, uh, mental health disorders, physical disorders. Um, I, I mean, I could go on with a long list of what it doesn't take into account, the, the sample population it was created for, this is what I think when I was doing my research on this a little bit, this is what I think like cracked me up a little bit because it made me, it just was like, yeah, that sounds about right. It totally tracks. Um, but the population that this was created around only included white French and Scottish men. <laughs> Like we're missing. Oh my God. That is incredible. We're missing Go ahead. A, a lot, a, a gazillion lot, people, many populations. Yeah. And so it's like, it just, it's yeah. It's right. It's so because yeah. One of the reasons <laughs> why in India and the sub Asian uh, continent area uh, countries, the BMI doesn't compute. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting because, because the BMI doesn't compute in South Pacific regions before the advent of the television. The cultural belief there was size was better. Mm-hmm. The other thing is interesting is that there are people around the world that obviously were, as you were mentioning, excluded from this, which is really very, very detrimental. I think the other thing, too, that's interesting is even here in the United States, the effect that I see on men is fascinating. Men tend to have more muscle than women. Oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> a lot more muscle than women. So if, if and here's where the yeah. stigma, again, here's where the stigma comes in, right? If you, let's say you go to the gym and you you go, you know what, I'm going to get big and strong. And let's say you, you gain a lot of muscle and you get bigger, right? Yeah. As well as you're growing taller. So now you might end up weighing 225 pounds and you're six foot, but guess what? Your BMI is in the obese range. Mm-hmm. Excuse me if I'm 
I know that these terms may be triggering for some people, but this is what I want to try to say. This is the idea where those terms are so skewed and so messed up. And so therefore, how do you reconcile what society is saying, especially about men, which men should be strong and lean. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, they're being told, oh, this is unhealthy for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, this, I think um, deviates a little bit from what you were just saying, but it just was a a fascinating thing too, um, is it it was determined as the best tool to assess health, not because of its accuracy, but because of its ease of use in medicine and research. So we use it because it's easy. (laughs) Such a cop-out. Such a cop-out. Such a (laughs) cop-out. Yeah, because let's let's play this out. Have you ever gone to the doctor and there was actually nothing wrong with your blood sugar or cholesterol or blood pressure? Often, yeah. And what were you told by the doctor? Lose weight. Yeah. Why the fuck are you going to lose weight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Am I, I losing weight because of what? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I were coming to you and I my blood pressure is fine and my cholesterol is fine, my, glu- my glucose levels, sugar levels are fine, and I'm not in a fat body, would you tell me the same thing? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's funny because Jeff and I talked a little bit about this on his podcast. Oh, Jeff about, Ash. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Jeff Ash. Yeah. About like um, using uh, sleep apnea as an example. Oh, him tell me. Bo- him and I both have sleep apnea. Okay. But we both are very different body sizes. Yeah, Jeff's not a large body. No, exactly. Yeah. But what I was told when I went in to get my CPAP you was, should lose you some know, weight. You could solve this if you just lost some weight. No fucking way. I did a presentation to the um, let's see, American Associate, no, the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. Mm. This was back in 2018. Yeah, I think 2018, 2017, something like that. And they wanted me to do a presentation on the relationship of food and sleep apnea. And so what is affecting, what does mm. food, how does food affect your sleep? It's really the, the sleep, not the sleep apnea. And I essentially did this whole presentation. And my main message was, foods don't affect your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the exception, of course, of caffeine and alcohol. And then any drugs that we don't know that are in supplements. Right. But generally speaking, food doesn't really affect your sleep. There isn't like a natural sleepy food, like the famous tryptophan amino acid that everybody tripped over. Get it? Tryptophan? Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My my daughter would say, oh, those are bad dad jokes. (laughs) Well, I love dad jokes, so keep them coming. (laughs) I can't help it. I can't help it. <laughs> um, and then everybody was looking at me like, well, but David, sh- shouldn't our clients lose weight? And I said, did you guys t- have me over here to talk about weight loss? Or did you have me come over here to talk about what foods are affecting your sleep? And everybody was looking at me like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, look, what they're, what they're eating, if it affects their sleep, it's because they're dealing with things like high blood sugars or yeah. uh, GERD. Uh, acid reflux or yeah. inflammation or yeah. uh, GI disturbances. Yeah. That is a totally different story. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Food will affect you, but it's not direct. It's indirect. Right, 
Yeah, exactly. It's not like I I'm eating a sandwich every night and that's what's causing me to. Or the the (laughs) or the bread has chemicals in it that keep your sleep and causes more sleep apnea to develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there. Exactly. There's no freaking research on that at all either. No, no, none at all. Uh, all right, you brought this up a little while ago. What's the difference then with the weight stigma in the gay men population? Yeah, so um, so Carl Hovey, who is a psychologist and researcher at the Soho and um, Fidi locations of the Gay Therapy Center in New York, okay. um, he kind of came out and talked about how um, gay men are the second largest population to experience eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Yes. So women are the first, then we've got gay men next. The and, way, wait a minute, wait a minute. The way it's defined by the DSM five, by the way. Yes, just, yes, so yes, yes, correct. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank we you just, for that is, we just kind of talked yeah. a little while ago about how people are probably all, all of us are dealing in one way or another or have yes. with disordered eating in some way. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. We exist in a culture for everyone that already tells us that our body is our worth and our value. Beautiful. And one of like the more kind of surprising elements that came out of this research that Carl did is how often experiences of the body, more specifically, whether or not an individual felt his body was acceptable or unacceptable in this marketplace of gay culture was related to a feeling of inclusion or exclusion within that culture. So this is where there's like an intersection of desire and 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 our bodies because when we talk about gay men too we're also we're also bringing in this inter- intersectionality of sex and there's this idea of again we're talking about this thin ideal like mm-hmm. if you are thin and the muscles too like thin you have muscles you are like you know like pecked out and like conventionally attractive conventionally attractive exactly like that's that's what you need to look like Mm -hmm. in the gay culture because if you don't look like that Mm -hmm. there's no place for you and so and so gay men hone in on that or like like get really obsessed with that in trying to look this certain way so they don't feel exclusion gay men already feel exclusion from society Mm-hmm. We're already, the, um, Carl talked a lot about this um, thing called minority stress and how like mm-hmm. we're already dealing with that. And then mm-hmm. now we're in this community that we're supposed to feel community. We're supposed to feel welcome. We're supposed to feel accepted. But the only way to do that is to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that leads to this obsessing over mm-hmm. how we look. Well, yeah, I mean, in the gay community, there are subsets of gay men, right? Yes. And they're called certain things like bear. Yeah, bear, twink. Twink, um, yep. Princesses. um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, princesses. Um. I yeah I I don't even know all of them off the top. Yeah, of my head. Um, I don't. Those are the three that I know. Uh, yeah, but um, um, like when I was first coming out. I like I've always had a bigger body. Like that's yeah. that's hasn't been a thing. But when I was first coming out things the things that went through my head were well how can i be gay and fat Mm. because again like you watch tv you watch tv and you watch tv shows and yes we have more gay representation now than we did in the 90s but still a lot of the gay representation we have are Mm -hmm. thin males Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah we don't see a lot of representation for gay men who are fat 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm watching Tom Swift on Apple TV, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the son, who is now the main character in the show, he's gay. And oh, yeah. and they show him without his shirt all the time. <laughs> and he, I mean, he is conventionally in that idealistic, perfect body. Yes. And he's a gay man. Mm-hmm. And they show somewhat, not sex scenes, but love scenes. And the, his partner is also in this beautiful, conventionally beautiful body. Mm-hmm. And it's like, shit. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so the, the whole time you were describing this, Joe, I kept thinking to myself, damn, that's got to be brutal. Not mm-hmm. only are you getting the weight, the generalized weight stigmatization that we have in society, but in the gay culture, on top of that, yeah. there is also that stigma, which is very very isolating yes yep (sighs) yeah yep sorry i'm letting that sink in a little bit yeah and it's i mean it's 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 no wonder right like it's no wonder that that gay men struggle with that yeah yeah of course because of that of course and and hence why eating disorders are probably more prevalent or easier to see at least in that subculture. Mm-hmm. Golly, yeah, mm-hmm. it's intense. Yeah, I mean, I work with many gay men, and some have been through eating disorder treatment programs. Some have not. Some are, you know, walking that tightrope tight of disordered eating and eating disorder. And it's very fragile. It's very, very something simple can just tip them over you know yeah. i see it quite often i even have gay men who are in their 70s that i work with and i'm still seeing this they still think that they have to lose weight and yeah like oh my gosh do not lose weight at 78 mm-hmm. years of, uh, of age yeah, oh my that's God. horrible <laughs> do don't not do know <laughs> that your cells are already degradating very fast <laughs> yeah don't do this to yourself <laughs> can you tell me then um how straight people then can support or be allies against this anti-fat bias and weight stigmatization. Yeah. Um, and I, I really just have kind of one big way and you can feel free to throw in others if you have them. But my biggest thing is that they can educate themselves and then help educate others because oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you yeah. immediately. Yeah. What I thought of is it is not my job to fix them. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm hearing from you. And I I love that. I love yeah. what you're saying. Well, and yeah, just to kind of add on to that then too is like, unfortunately, those who are thinner, white, straight, heterosexual or cisgendered are more likely to be listened to than than people who are in, you know, minority populations. What do you mean by that? Um, We we tend it's it's this idea that like we tend to listen to the people who already have privilege and power like those are the people we give the platforms to those are the people we tend to give the energy to and the time to and so it's we're going to get farther in some of these things if we have those people who are making that choice then to to help the allies and help step up and help say hey here's here's a problem well, I'm going to throw an argument that maybe those thin white privileged, which I don't disagree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say 
But Joe, aren't you worried that you're going to develop diabetes or heart disease or mm -hmm. die of a chronic illness? What would you say to them? <laughs> um, I am not worried about that right now. Um, I am more likely to get diabetes because that runs in my family, both of my parents. Mm. It runs in both of my parents' family. Mm -hmm. And I'm more likely to get it because of genetics rather than my weight and my size. Mm. Okay. I would add that you're more likely to get it because of the the stress that society puts on you. Yeah. More than anything that's, else. That's a good addition. In addition yeah. to the fact that you yeah. have diabetes running in your family. Yeah. That's a good addition. That's a good addition. Yeah. Because I also think too, like mental health plays into this too, right? Like, oh, absolutely. I, we've, we've talked a lot about, I mean, you've, I haven't like blatantly said it, but in my conversations about what I'm saying to myself, how I'm talking to myself, like me, I struggle with depression, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, and some of this plays into all of that. And so it's, it's also that like, we put so much weight on physical health too. And we don't, we don't put weight on mental health mm -mm. and that matters too. <laughs> That's so funny. By the way, it didn't escape me that you said we don't put any weight on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I bet he didn't catch that. <laughs> oh, he did not catch that, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, wow, this is... Uh, Joe, I can talk to you forever about this, this oh, stuff. I mean, you. I really have a hard time sometimes with many of my clients because they come to me, even though they know and they see on my website that I specialize in the intuitive wheat, intuitive eating, and anti-fat bias. I mean, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-weight stigmatization, the weight-inclusive kind of work that I do, and they still want to try to lose weight. Yeah. yeah I, th I think there is this yeah. enormous pressure. Not only, I think. I know there's this enormous pressure from society and what it says. Yeah. It's tough. It's really, really tough. I think it's so important that we... I, I know that I talk about this message on a regular basis, and it needs to be heard because the amount of um, energy that it it's going to take is going to be enormous because the anti-bias that we have in society is so loud. It's yeah. so deep-rooted in our subconscious and in our social constructs, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember the Fiji study. The Fiji study was done in, I believe, the late mid to late 90s or early 2000s. And what they looked at was the advent of body dysmorphia based on the advent, excuse me, I'm saying the advent, the, the bringing of westernized TV to the Fiji Islands. Because prior to mm. 19, I believe 1985 or 1986, the Fiji Islands didn't have TV or didn't have traditional TV and commercials and stuff like that. And the idea in the Fiji Islands that was that beauty was bigger. Um, mm. So the the researchers looked at the effects of TV over the 10 year span. So I think it was like 90 or 86 to 96, 1986 to 1996. Mm -hmm. And what they saw was a dramatic shift into the westernized ideals of the thin body or the, the strong lean man. Mm -hmm. And people were already shifting the way their bodies were looking. What was interesting in a follow-up to that I don't think it was a study, but I think it was a follow-up 
review or analysis, like in the mid to late 2000s, was how diabetes had not changed mm. and actually increased in the island, whereas prior to 1986, it didn't really exist as much as it did then. Interesting. Yeah, right? It's like, wow. Holy. Interesting. So what is the pressure, the the stress, the anxiety, the depression that falls on a person's body yeah. as well as their mind and how that affects? I talk about a lot. I say this so much on my podcast about the effects of stress. I had a whole series of episodes on stress and the effects that it has on the body. One of the things that I say is when you have this increase in stress, you have a natural increase of sugar and fat that goes into your blood, yes. which then puts a tax on other organs such as the pancreas that has to produce in insulin in order to manage that extra blood sugar and fat that's going into your blood. Yeah. Is it the food that you're eating? I see people who are in large bodies all the time, and it's fascinating to me that so few of them eat large amounts of food. Mm -hmm. It's like they barely eat anything at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, David, well, that's the reason I'm coming to you. I don't understand. I don't eat it much at all. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. The stress, that, yeah, the stress alone is yeah. causing the problem. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I could, like I said, I can go. Oh, off no, you, no. I thought that was so fascinating. And I'm glad that you brought that up because um, I think that's a really good example yeah. of of it's um i like to say who you're being when you eat right like mm, um and and good. my the my kind of what's becoming my mantra i feel like is that like you're, the relationship you have to food and movement affects you way more than the actual food that you're eating mm, oh you're saying oh gosh you're you're answering the question i was about to ask so how does a person <laughs> how does a person in a fat body or in a large body what do they do to, to protect themselves against this, this onslaught of weight stigma? Yeah. And I, I'm going to try and I'm going to try really hard to like put this in terms that like, it's not going to sound like, oh, well, that's easier said than done. <laughs> um, but like one of the biggest things is like working to healing, like heal your own perception and relationship with your body, food and exercise mm. um, and becoming more aware. Like we've talked a lot about in this this time together, um, being more aware of it and interrupting those biases that you have towards yourself, but mm -hmm. also towards others and towards the world. Mm -hmm. um, I also advocate for what you need, um, you know, working with someone. I, I help people, some of my, I've helped some of my clients work on, and friends too, on like what you can say when you go to the doctor and they well, say something good. that feels harmful. I even actually just um, shared on my Instagram account on my stories the other day, someone from um, the anti-diet plan Instagram account had shared like four things you can say to, to doctors when you experience weight stigma or an, um, anti-fat bias. Do you um, remember them? I don't remember them all the time in my head and I should have wrote, I should have written them down. What would you say to a doctor if you, you were experiencing it? Um, well, one thing I have said, <laughs> and mine's a little bit more sassy, <laughs> um, but like e easier said than done. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've told people that like, if like when you go in and people are asking to weigh you, like if they're asking to weigh you and you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can say, I don't, I don't want to be weighed. 
I don't, no. I don't feel comfortable being weighed. Um, Do you know the thing, number one reason why they weigh you? No, I don't actually. They get paid for it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> also true. <laughs> they, they, they li- there literally is a yeah. line, a, a code that they use. I mean, I think they get like, I don't know, five, 10, 15, 20 something dollars, depending on what it is. They get paid every time they weigh you. Really? Oh, yeah. Just that that's, is fascinating. That's the other reason why they also do your vitals. I mean, it's important to do your vitals. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Don't, don't, don't skip don't on that one. Don't listen to this and think, like, yeah, I, should, don't. I shouldn't get my vitals done. No, the, <laughs> right, exactly. The point that I'm making is they also have light items for blood pressure and temperature and uh, whatever else that they'll measure. Yeah. And that's a whole tangent we could go on, too. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, don't get me started on insurance. Oh my yeah, god! Oh, I know the bane of my fucking <laughs> existence. I fucking exactly hate insurance. Exactly oh my god, I could rant went. like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> yeah. Um. Another thing too is I mean, like you can say like, what it is this how you would treat a thin person? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's another one. Like and we talked about a, a little while ago. And, yeah, exactly. And if yeah. it's a no, then then I want like. I yeah. want to know then what 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 you would prescribe for that person. <laughs> right. Um and um another thing is is working to stay grounded in the body that you have. And well, so talk a little bit more about yeah. that. Yeah. What do you mean so, by that? What I mean is really doing the work to love and respect yourself and work to not um really try not to <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it again, not give any weight to those stigmas, phobias, and biases. Um, because something I've learned is that they're going to show up mm-hmm. like that's, 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 that's just a fact, mm-hmm. but I, I have, I've done the work to not give those things. Wait, wait, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll uh, keep power. doing it. I love it. Power, I love yeah. it. Power over me, you know, like, like it's, it, it's it's interrupting, right? Those inner thoughts that I have, or those inner feelings, those inner sensations, mm-hmm. when those things happen, mm-hmm. and recognizing that I'm not the one doing something wrong. Yeah, let me give you some examples of what I've done with clients and exactly what yeah. you're saying. When they go to the doctor, they can say to the doctor, I don't feel comfortable right now or going forward that you take my weight because I don't think we ever use it for anything. I appreciate what you're doing, but I rather just refuse. And you could put that on your your yeah. chart that the client refused it. Another thing is, yeah, doctor, I appreciate you telling me about your weight, but you know that's often very triggering to me. And mm-hmm. you don't know a lot about my history. I've done weight loss before. What would you tell a thin person that had high blood pressure or prediabetes? Mm-hmm. Or another thing is, you know, I'm working with someone who's really helping me better relate to food and my body. And I appreciate what you're saying, but please understand that weight isn't the only reason why I'm here or the reason yeah. why I'm here today. Um, So those are the things that you can be saying as well. I love what you're also saying about grounding yourself. You know, I I read uh, Sonia Renee Taylor's book, um, The The Body's Not an Apology. Oh, I love her. And one of the things is this idea of radical self-love. And and this is what I mean, Joe. I have asked people, do you love yourself? And they say, well, of course I do. And I say say to them, well, why is it that you your actions speak differently? 
And they're saying, well, what do you mean? Give me an example. Why are you beating yourself up because you're having mm-hmm. a cookie? Would you do that to your child or to a friend? Yeah. And they thought, oh, no. Why do you beat yourself up because you look a certain way in a mirror? Mm-hmm. How can you say you radically love yourself if you're going to beat yourself up like that? Yeah. Why do you insist on wearing this bra that is pinching you and where the wire is sticking out and needs to be thrown out? Mm-hmm. If you love yourself, you would just spend the extra dollars because you know what? Someone that you love, you'd spend that money on without a hesitation. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I love what you're saying that, Joe. I think yeah. that's so, so important. You know, yeah. we don't realize this, whether you're gay or straight or not. Yeah. You know, I think that especially straight men, there is that hypermasculinity that maybe exists. And therefore, part of hypermasculinity exists around the notion of femininity. Mm -hmm. So one, I can't be like a woman and I can't be like a gay man. 1,000%. Yes. And you know what's interesting? Here's what's even more fascinating. That hypermasculinity idea of femininity is not actually very different in the gay male's population as well because Correct. being gay is different from being a woman mm-hmm. Ex- yes right because yes. you're not gonna have sex with a woman <laughs> right exactly right right exactly mm-hmm. so yeah and i think that this radical self-love is really really it, it touches pulls on my heartstrings joe it really does i mean part of me is like i'm i'm getting chills just talking about this with you because i i fear that so many men are really, really struggling with this internally, but don't know, number one, that they are struggling with it, don't know how to express it, and number three, might be afraid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, that it doesn't matter if it's gay or straight. I think it's in both situations. Yeah. Well, not that gay or straight are situations, but... <laughs> yeah. You know Yeah. And I wanted to add on to kind of those things you were saying about like what you can say to the doctor too, is it, and I've done this in the past in other situations too. um, It's okay to write those down and bring those with you on the piece of paper too. Like if you're afraid that you're going to freeze when it comes to that, it's okay to pull out that piece of paper and say, I have something that's really important I need to say, and I'm going to read off of this and it's going to feel awkward. But I need this is important to me. Or give them the freaking people because one of the things, yeah, yeah. that that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because one of the things that you're saying, Joe, is something really that's another thing that's happening behind the scenes that we are again. It's the learning process. We're not knowing. We don't know. It's this unconscious incompetence. We don't know that what's happening is that there is a hierarchy. When you walk into the doctor's office, Mm -hmm. they wear a lab coat. Mm-hmm. They, it shows that they went through all this education and learning and they are therefore the expert. They are better than you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. And so that's why you're saying, you know, it mm-hmm. might be nerve wracking to actually read it to them or yeah. say it to them because it's like, they're going to spank you, damn yes. it. Or, you know, yep. spank you. who the fuck spanks anybody? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First thing that came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> mentally spank you yes yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i know i know what you're saying <laughs> yep mm-hmm. Shit. okay joe i know that we're 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 going pretty pretty long here so yes. what's one thing that you would love to leave everybody with today oh what's one thing i want to leave everyone with today i i want to just let everyone know that there is something better outside of diets and Um, and that, that idea of, like you said, radical self-love, it is achievable. 
Mm. And you can you can have it. And also you can have that cookie and you will be okay. On that note, I got my funny question for you. If you were stranded on a desert island and this is the last meal that you can have, what would it be? Oh my gosh, pepperoni pizza. Oh, I love it. I love pepperoni it. Pepperoni pizza. I, I'm pizza. not even hesitating on that. Pepperoni pizza. <laughs> you go. I love it. I love it's it. It's my kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Joe. This is good. Joe, where can they find you? Where can people get to call you or contact you or reach you or DM you? Um, they can reach me on Instagram or TikTok. Those are my two where? main places that I'm at. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I am at J Loy Coaching. That's J L O Y E Coaching. That's gotcha. My, that's my handle. I said to, I, when I was on with Jeff, I said I feel like I need to say more than that. But that's it. That's that's my handle. That's all there is. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to say. Okay, so J Loy Coaching, and that's where they can find you on on Instagram. Yep, correct. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, and you got some great reels on there too. Oh, thank you. Thank I love you. the dancing ones. I, I enjoy. I en- I love dancing, so I really enjoy. I love those. dancing too. I need to do some dancing reels because you know I got I got to show my Latin blood sometimes. Yeah, there you go. I love it. I, I'll be looking for them. I will. I know. Now, I'm a, <laughs> now I've held myself to it. Damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Joe, I appreciate this. I really uh, enjoyed having our conversation. I really had a good time too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. I didn't think I've laughed this hard all week. <laughs> I know, I know, my jaw hurts. Yeah, <laughs> shit, Thank it's a so it's David. a mouth workout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, Joe. I'll see you soon, buddy. See you. Thank you. You know, Joe's story reminds me of all of the heroes and sheroes in my book. Their journey is practically identical to what Joe was facing before his transformation. This is the hero's journey. This is what I wanted to do with the book. Really display all of the hard work that people that I've worked with, their journeys, therefore you can learn from their journey and therefore build a positive relationship to food. Check out the book, One Small Bite, Anti-Diet Stories That Help You Build a positive relationship to food. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. You're also welcome to check out our website for more information. Also, one of the things that you heard from Joe is the relationship that he has with his husband. And it's amazing because that connection is so important. This is something that I often see with a lot of clients is that disconnect from our social constructs partly because society is talking to us through that diet culture lens. This is the other reason why we developed our community, which, by the way, is called Evolve. Go to our website, oroscoenutrition.com slash community, so you can get all of the great benefits and features of our community. We have an online hub. We have weekly Ask Me Anything sessions. We have group discussions. We also bring in some resources and we'll have a monthly workshop about a specific topic, kind of like a webinar, kind of like a discussion. So it's very involved. And the best part is you get to meet people just like you that can help us through those difficult and challenging moments in our lives so that we can build a positive relationship to food and our bodies. 
We have our open house this Tuesday, October 4th, 6 p.m. That's October 4th, 2022. So if you're listening to this in the future, just check our website for more information. That's orozconutrition.com forward slash community. Thank you, folks. I really appreciate you for listening in. And I hope this helped. If you get a chance, drop us a rate and review. That really helps us quite a bit. And you know what? Remember, chop that diet mentality, feel your body, and nourish your soul. Until next time, see you soon. Oh, yeah.